Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the daily show podcast that goes a little deeper into segments and topics that aired originally on the show. We're kind of like the amenities you get when you stay at an all-inclusive resort. You know, you get the hotel room, of course, but this podcast... It's the room service, the buffet, the fancy bathrobe. Man, them bathrobes so comfortable. I stole six or seven. Let me stop snitching on myself. Today, we're discussing a topic from CP Time that I did on the origins of house music. The piece highlights the notable black DJs and singers that created the original sound of the genre. House music is all the rage these days. From Drake and Beyonce, to Swedish House Mafia, to Mickey Mouse's cokehead cousin who lives in the bad part of Epcot. But would you believe that this genre has its origins in the black community? Of course you should. It's CP time. You've never heard me say, surprise, it's Caucasians. So yes, these modern artists stand on the shoulders of house music's black and gay founders. So let's talk about some of them. Like Francis Nichols, AKA Frankie Knuckles. Frankie started as a DJ in New York at a time of ferocious backlash against disco music. It was so bad that in 1979, a crowd gathered at Chicago's Comiskey Park to burn the records of artists in what was known as Disco Demolition Night. Even watching the footage today, it's still a shocking sight. A full baseball stadium. Disco was dead, but people still wanted to get down in the club. And so Frankie Knuckles started experimenting with a new style of dance music at his home club in Chicago, The Warehouse. That's where house music gets its name, not as some people think from Dr. House. Although Dr. House does love popping pills. Today I'm joined by Daily Show producer Chelsea Williamson. Chelsea, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Roy? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm making it. I promise you that this is the voice you have after listening to house music and screaming in the club till four o'clock in the morning, (laughs) which is not what I was doing. Maybe, you know, that's, we'll talk about that offline. Uh, we're also joined by American DJ producer and house music great Derek Carter and music scholar and writer Craig Seymour. Derek, how you feeling today? We'll start with you. I'm all right. I have my voice and we're doing okay here. Must be nice. <laughs> and Craig, Craig, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. And I definitely have been there with that voice, you know, after that night at the club. 
<laughs> isn't quite what it is, and I'm delighted to be yes, here. Yes, Lord. Whenever I get the <laughs> chance to talk about house music and give it up to the people who um, provided the foundation for music that has been so important to my life, it's a beautiful day. My first introduction to house music was at Florida a University. I had a roommate from Milwaukee. We walked down to, this is how old I am, excuse the old people, Chelsea. I walked down to Eckert's Pharmacy, and at Eckert's, I bought a two-deck cassette player, and that was going to be our music for our dorm room. And I popped in Master P Ghetto D, and then the deal was you get the radio for an hour, and then the other person gets the radio for an hour. He popped in the percolator, and I had never (laughs) heard of this. He starts gyrating around the room. I think he's having a seizure. It probably took 10 minutes for me to realize, oh, wow, this is amazing. I want more. What else do you have? And this brother had a box. He had a box of nothing but house music and do or die. That was all he had. (laughs) Midwest staples. Yeah. And so, you know, being a Southerner, this was not something that had permeated its way, at least not as a 16, 17 year old, you know, in 96. So, you know, it was shocking for me to like discover this new thing. And he's like, nah, this has always been the thing. So Chelsea, you do the research on these pieces. Let's start there. House music has always been associated with white people, but can you give us the basic overview of the black roots of the genre? Yeah, so I feel like you can't really get into house without first acknowledging that it came from disco. It was very influenced by disco. And July 1979, basically, in Chicago, this Chicago radio DJ named Steve Dahl um, held a disco demolition night. It was in the baseball stadium. There's supposed to be a game that night. And he blew up a bunch of disco records because he was like, I hate this genre. They had like moved his radio beat from rock to disco. It started a riot. The game never happened that evening, to say the least. And there began this backlash against disco. I will also say that there was part of that that did feel very anti-Black and homophobic um, because a lot of these disco artists were Black and, you know, many were gay or in the closet or just were like involved in that scene. Like I just think of Sylvester and and others like him. After that, you kind of had this backlash of um, people not really wanting to listen to disco. But at the same time, these DJs were like, well, people want to dance, but they don't want to listen to disco. So we've got to figure out something new. And that's where you have somebody like Frankie Knuckles who kind of came up in New York um, DJing and actually kind of started out in the Harlem drag ball scene, um, met his friend Larry Levon. They started out together working at Continental Baths, DJing off and on. And Frankie eventually moved to Chicago where he started DJing at this club called The Warehouse, which is where House actually gets his name. While there, he kind of pioneered this, you know, version of disco that was like more of a 4-4 beat um, and just like put different basses and, and drums under it. and. He created a very, like, helped to pioneer a whole new genre that eventually became House. It wasn't only him. Also, like I said, Larry LeVon was in New York and he DJed at this very famous club called Paradise Garage, which I don't think you can forget in the overall history because 
legend it was like a legendary club he was also pioneering his own thing then you had all the people after them um such as the people that we mentioned in the cp time like ron hardy you had jesse saunders who had the first number one record in 1984 called on and on and helped also make it global you know you had a variety of people that also made this happen um but it was all you know the early 80s and i do think it's very important to also acknowledge that you know especially the origins of it were very much black and very gay and you can't divorce those two things from it so then derek first to the black part of that snubbing <laughs> now <laughs> we get to the gay part in a second but What's that? to the black part of that now you've been 10 toes down in this genre since seven eight years old messing up your mama's needles on her 45s and scratching up everything in the house as we do as children when we learn our craft. When you started, you know, first walk me through your introduction into the house music scene. And as you matriculated in it, did it feel like you were being snubbed? Like as a consumer, I understand that we sometimes have a different perspective from the artist. So as a creator of this genre as one of the pioneers of this genre did you see this did it feel like you all were not getting the credit give me the origin and and then talk about it once you were inside the tornado of it all well i remember the first time i ever heard the term house music a friend of mine had come over and just was talking about house music house music. i'm like what the hell is house music i mean i, I was probably 12, 13 at the time. We sit on my the front porch at my parents' house and uh, we'd all been DJs. That's the thing. Like I started, uh, I DJed the, for the first time at nine. You know, we all had little crews. And the amazing thing is that uh, in what, Chicago- what, what were your rates? What were your rates at nine years old? What was you going for for a show? What a plate? kind of book you for, man? Give me a plate. <laughs> <laughs> Where I grew up is just like just outside of the city in a place called Broadview, Maywood, Illinois. Um, there were probably, I, man, easily like 10, 15 other like kid DJs uh, in my neighborhood. Like we battle each other in the garage and just like make music and, and have fun and do that sort of thing. Uh, and one of my friends who was in this kind of, uh, I don't know, our association, just like start talking about house music, house music. I'm like I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Then he explained it to me, and I was like, "Oh, you, you're just talking about music. Like, I don't, uh, why are you calling it house music? Like, what you, why, what is this?" But the thing about it here locally was that they played, um, they had mixes on the radio, so we had like disco DAI uh, back in the uh, Steve Dahl days. And then it went on to WBMX and WGCI and then on through like B96 and all that stuff. But basically we had on Friday nights from, I guess like nine till 4 a.m. Basically the time that the club would be open. If you couldn't make it to the club, there were radio DJs that would give you uh, mixes. It became sort of the soundtrack, you know, and I was crafty and broke. So like I would manage to like I wanted to record all these mixes and find all this music. So I figured out a way to hook up uh, my parents' VCR to the radio and <laughs> instead of a tape deck so I could get six hours on the tape so I could tape the whole mix show from start wow. to end. 
and just like have it on on a VCR tape. The the thing was there was a lot of record stores like all over the place. There was one locally, Reamers Records that sold a lot of stuff. There was one uh, we had you know Rose Records in the city and a bunch of other things. I worked at a place called Imports Etc., which is the store that gave house music its actual name. Like it came from the club, the warehouse, but Paul Weisselberg, um, who was the owner, um, had set up a little bin of music that Frankie played. Cause that's kind of the thing at the time, you know, it's like DJ picks or like music that you could hear in these various places. And this is also this, I'm talking like 19, that would have been like 1984, maybe 1983, somewhere in there. But I started working there at 87. I mean, I was 18. I had just, I was a fresh 18. And we just used to run around and like, man, it was the heyday. It was like, there was a party in every little neighborhood every weekend for, you know, like years. You know, there'd be the dance-off battle and like a DJ battle or like a dancer battle or biggest booty battle. You know, those have never gone away. The spirit of house music, do you feel like it was properly honored by white people to have been this thing that originated within the black and gay communities? At that time, uh, yes. There were club issues and things like that with uh, segregation. Chicago is notoriously terrible about that sort of stuff and at that time particularly. But there were a lot of parties and a lot of events and like they would be, you know, all kinds of people. I mean, yeah, most of the DJs or a lot of the DJs and the places where it found its start were primarily uh, black and brown queer spaces helmed by black and brown queer people. But they weren't exclusionary. You know, they weren't uh, in any way running the same kind of game that the actual club owners in the city were running, where you had to have four pieces of ID to get in. And who the hell has four pieces of ID in 1984? There weren't even four pieces of ID mm-hmm. to be had. You know, you write your name on a piece of paper, if that counts, that's one. You know, bring in your electric bill. <laughs> but at these events, there would be white people. There'd be like, you know, white passing Latinos and shoot, white passing black folks. There'd be all kinds of people and just having a good time. And so uh, I feel like House kind of fostered and um, nurtured this kind of uh, community. And, and for lack of a you know better term, that anybody could come, you know, and like there's the famous song, you may be black, you may be white, you may be Jew or Gentile, you know, it don't make a difference. Working at the record store, I saw it all the time. You know, people coming in, like black people, brown people, white people, gay people, straight people, uh, people just catching up to it more so because it was on the radio at the time. So it became uh, something commercial that could be I, I guess exploited something you could sell commercial times to uh, make a little money off of it. But I think that in the black, the blackness of it, 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 it I mean, it was black. It was real black. You know, you would get <laughs> like just steppers coming in and full green outfits and, you know, brothers from the deep South side who just didn't leave the South side to go to do anything, but go get records, you know, for the party. 
It was it was a lot of characters. You know, you would run into some interesting people. To that point, Craig, speak a little bit to the LGBTQ community and how they fit into the history of house music, specifically queer, black, and Latinx men. Well, first of all, I just have to give it up to the black ingenuity of hooking up a cassette player to a VCR. I ain't never heard of nothing like that ever. So yeah, this, that just needs a moment, yes. first of all, just to give it up to that. All right. And then I also wanted to um, say a little bit about the um, the Steve Dobb, the Disco Demolition um riot the reason why it can really i i feel very comfortable calling it racist is because um some of the people that were taking the records that people would get were able to get in free for a reduced price to get they were bringing in stevie wonder records they were bringing in aretha franklin records they were bringing in funk records so the record they weren't making any distinction between black music in general and disco they just wanted to burn these black records. So that's something that's very important that mm. often gets lost in that that was definitely racist. I don't care what anybody tries to say. The point is, and what this one, I believe it was Vince Lawrence. Excuse me if I'm wrong about that. But I believe he said, you know, he didn't see any Carpenter's records coming through. He didn't see any Doors Day records coming through. He didn't see any Barry Manilow records coming through. But he did see mainstream black R&B records coming through that were not disco. So to me, what's 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 so what's mm-hmm. the, you know, connecting thread between all their artists? They're black, you know. Mm-hmm. So it really did have a racial um, implication. So you know, I think it's important to very much think of a black queer aesthetic and queer community as very distinct from a white queer community. And I think it's very important to think of the practices of black queer communities as very different from the practices of white queer communities. So that's why when uh, Mr. Carter said the thing about it was always a mix of people, a black queer aesthetic and community and the principles of um, the black queer community have always been about inclusion and they've always reflected sort of the thinking of black feminist authors that i'm not free till everybody's free you know what i mean it's not a get mine type of situation it's a someday we'll all be free situation you know and we're trying to free everybody's mind so that's why the inclusion of um, all sorts of different people was so possible within these black queer safe spaces where they might not have been in white gay spaces, which again, like Mr. Carter said, when you'd show up to the door, you know, if you weren't white, you have to show, you know, multiple IDs, this and that, have to go through all sorts of changes. But I think that inclusive aspect was always a part of it. For me, not growing up in Chicago, but being around the, I was born in 1968. So um, I saw it all from the point of view. I grew up in DC, but I lived in New York for a long period of time during this period. And New York at this time in the early 80s was the capital of dance music. Like everything came out of New York or New Jersey filtered through New York, through clubs like the Zanzibar and Tony Humphreys. And then they get played by Larry LeVan at the Paradise Garage and that type of thing. So that was the center. And I distinctly remember when house 
came on the scene because what was big back in those days is kind of like what we now call freestyle but you can call it electro and records like shannon's let the music play and things like that which are very kind of um sort of jaunty records and i remember when the first time like uh jam silks music is the key started playing People were like, what is this? Because it's just, it was much more fluid than the sort of electro rhythms before. And then once we start getting like Marshall Jefferson's house music anthem with the pianos and all of that kind of stuff, it was like somebody switched a light switch and like all of these kind of hard electro records that were once popular were just <laughs> gone. And now it was all about house music, whether melodic house music or the sort of um, cut up tracks that people like um, Todd Terry and people were doing. New York producers really picked up on the sort of cut up sounds that Chicago producers were doing. Producers like Arthur Baker, who produced Looking for the Perfect Beat, one of the first electro hip hop records, he really started being a champion of house music and bringing that into the New York scene. And once it became big in New York, then the pop artists wanted to get, get in on that money. So that's when you started getting Frankie Knuckles remixing records for like <laughs> Janet Jackson and Whitney Houston and people like that. And that's when it really exploded, when the pop people started getting into it. But again, it was about how the New York producers were kind of translating this raw sound that was coming from Chicago. So then would you all say that these house music venues became a bit of a, a cultural and behavioral safe haven for the gay community? And I, I would guess to some degree the black community as well, where you could come and just be yourself in this one bubble away from all of the other bullshit that's going on outside in the city. Uh, that was literally it for so many people, including myself that I knew, uh, particularly because clubs were always in many ways meant to be an escape um, from the sort of just things that you do every day. I, my job is terrible, but the weekend, you know, my girlfriend, my boyfriend's mad at me, but the weekend, you know, all the things that you go through during the make your money part of the week uh, are absolved and you are just the weekend. So having those places uh, where you just could be free. Well, you wanted to be free and then were able to be free. Uh, that is a great recipe for a good time. And people were coming to have great times. You know, the interesting thing, um, both Mr. Carter and I have talked about like how in certain cities, like the big cities, the New Yorks, um, the Phillies, the Baltimores, the Chicago, House also had a life on radio, which really sort of spread the message. But in terms of um, Black queer spaces, there were places all around the country, even in the South, in Atlanta, in Houston, and all of these other places where house music clubs were really all that the Black gay and lesbian community had at that time because they weren't hearing it on the radio. They weren't couldn't even find it in the record stores, but they yeah, would go yeah. to these particular clubs um, in order to hear the music. And in many ways, they were much more isolated than people were in bigger cities like Chicago and DC and stuff where there was a larger 
black gay community. And then there were also the clubs in the South. There was only the club and the black gay community was the club and the soundtrack to the club was house music. Mm. So there's, it, it provided such an important, um, connection and you know like i was saying about the inclusivity of house music you hear that in the music you hear that in um sterling voice it's all right you know you hear that in joe smooth's promised land you hear that in cc rogers someday you know you hear that in um mr fingers can you feel it it's all about trying to seek for a better world for everybody it's not just a gay pride anthem it's an, it's an everybody thing. And it's talking about, this was the 80s, so it's talking about apartheid in South Africa. It's talking about all sorts of things yeah. that oppress people. That's what house music is to me. So with those artists you've just named, Chelsea, in the segment, we featured, you know, the late, great Frankie Knuckles, Martha Wash made an appearance. We actually got Martha Wash to just straight open up the Zoom camera and do a joke with us on the fly. Ooh. And she was with it on Zoom. She she knew the button. She like, what Ain't no shark. Well, because she's got, I mean, she's seen the errors. You know, she was two tons of fun. She was mm -hmm. a, the backing band for Sylvester. So she was, she's as disco as disco gets. Yeah, she is pedigree. That wraps up our time with house music, if you like that sort of thing which personally I do not. Maybe I'm old school, but that type of music is undignified. Shaking my hips like a heathen? No, thank you. There's no commandment about dropping it low. That movie Dirty Dancing was about two people rubbing crotches in public places. It's a terrible film. What in the? Roy. Is that you, God? I knew you were a black woman. No, it's me, Martha Wash. What's this I hear about you not liking dance music? Martha, I cannot abide by dance music. Not a single note. I'm a man of culture. I shimmy once a decade and that's it. Nonsense. Everyone can dance. Everyone must dance. Hit it, studio. Hit what from the... You are God. Chelsea, who were some of the other DJs or singers in the house genre that came up in the research that they just we just ran out of time on? I mean, there's a lot. Like that's the thing with houses. Like there's so many DJs and so many people that were integral. Um, I know, especially on the uh, we were trying to find you know a lot of women DJs that helped out early on, and um, we came up with um, Yvonne Turner, who did you know the music is the answer dub mix that is this huge song and she actually was never properly credited for it. She was actually credited on the original uh, vinyl as Evan Turner. They credited her as a man, weirdly. Um, and that happened to her a few times in her career and she ended up actually leaving, but then coming back a couple of years ago and got Grammy nominated um, for a song. So, you know, she's like, managed to do the whole thing but you know people like her and i recommend two the... yvonne turner tracks just while we're on yvonne turner oh sure just yeah people would, would i think they would like yeah. to know google whitney houston i'm your baby tonight the yvonne turner mix do yourself a favor and also lisa stansfield you can't deny it the yvonne turner mix and layla hathaway um heaven knows the yvonne turner mix I just want to throw that out there because that's Von okay. Turner's. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay, just had to no, do it. <laughs> all good. All good. Um, and then on the singer side, I think one of the things that's very um, 
cool and interesting about house music and it really allows for a lot of women to sing it full voice um whereas like especially now um i feel like in a lot of pop music it's not um very normal uh so especially you know in the 80s and 90s we talked about martha wash but you know there was also crystal waters who had gypsy woman she's homeless which was this huge smash hit you know, you have Ultranate who had this huge hit, Free, and she's one of the most commercially successful house music singers ever. And when we were speaking about the sampling of these disco records early on, you have Lolita Holloway's Love Sensation, which then got turned into Good Vibration, which everybody knows, but she actually also did not get credited for her vocals because it was just remixed and sampled uh. so many times. So, you know, there's so many women that have like made it in this and made dance music their main career because especially for a lot of black women with huge like church gospel vocals like house music is a home it's a safe space and it's a place where um it's consistent work and they know that people will listen to it they'll get paid for it and their voices will be appreciated one of the things that is often overlooked i feel is uh lesbians back in the good old days when i would go clubbing and things there were like lesbians who were just out being themselves and finding places because it's hard for especially you know black and brown uh women to be queer um in public and i feel like they are often relegated to the at the bottom when in reality at that time particularly there were a lot of uh female djs running like coming to the store and buy things for you know the paris club and all these other places that were going on at the time that just catered more specifically toward women. So there was a place that existed for them in this sort of pantheon or this uh, hierarchy of um, black and queer. Like it, it wasn't just men. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of women, there were a lot of trans people. Um, of trans. I knew queens that kept razor blades in their cheek because they couldn't get home unless they had some protection. Keep a razor blade in between your toes. Mm. So all you gotta do is kick your shoe off and you can kick somebody in the face if they try to, you know, mess with you. Like these, like, but you know, these are like hard bitches. Like, you know, just ain't playing with you <laughs> and you are, and you gonna know it. You could learn a lot so, from them though. I've learned a lot could. of self-protection, a lot of self-protection things a that lot. I know from trans women back in the day. <laughs> Keep $50 in your shoe hey. just in case you get arrested. Mm. Uh, I bond. Like all the all the good all the good street stuff. Like the street knowledge came from, you know, trans girls, especially the ones who were uh See, this is why we can't get rid girls. of CRT in schools. We need this knowledge in the in the textbooks. <laughs> I mean, and if you had somebody and if you had like, you know, a, a, a trans woman, you know, that had your back like that. Oh, baby. Ooh, ooh. Oh, baby. She would go to town. Speaking of inclusion, <laughs> after the break, I want to talk about the way that Europe played a role into the evolution of house music and what many would argue is the pushing out and erasure of black and gay faces within the craft and how that affected the evolution of house music. We're going to get into that after the break. This is Beyond the Scenes. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Beyond the scenes, we are back. We are talking house music. Now, we have discussed the foundation of it. We've discussed the base of it, the origins of it. But let's talk a little bit more about how it evolved beyond America and how that led to what I suspect would be some of the erasure of black and LGBTQ folks from the historical context of the music. Why do you all think the erasure started and what role did the global evolution of house music play in that? Well, I don't have anything against Europe in the erasure because Europe is responsible for house music gaining its international popularity. When house music started, nobody in the States, in terms of music journalism, in terms of anything, cared one small bit. It was the European journalist who came over here and wrote about house music. It was the licensing deals um, from the small independent Chicago labels that they licensed and took over to to, um, Britain. And in the UK, these records became like number one records. Jack Your Body, the house music anthem, they became number one records when over here, nobody was trying for them. I remember um, one of the best, one of the most important house groups of all time, Ten City. They were signed to Atlantic Records here, but their record was blowing up overseas. Do you think that Atlantic mm-hmm. Records gave them money to tour overseas? No. The lead singer, Byron, he had to ask his grandmother for the money. She gave him a razor blade, told him to slit underneath the um, curtain where she hid her money. dropped out on the floor and that was his touring budget. They went over there and toured it. And I believe it was That's the Way Love Love Is became a top 10 UK pop record, but not because of any support of the US labels. And also all of the old house music legends can go overseas now and still get a check and still perform and they get performed like rock stars. What really happened is that and we haven't talked about this yet, but we can never underestimate the power, the the just the loss that happened with AIDS. That decimated the black gay community at every single level. So that affected the people that were making the music, that affected the people that were in the clubs listening to the music. Those clubs began to close because there wasn't enough of an audience. We're talking about estimates where some Black gay clubs feel like between the 80s and the 90s, they lost 
40 and 50% of their audience. More. Or more. And so mm -hmm. as the music's getting popular, it starts getting played in the white clubs. And these big white clubs, it, it started to be calling the big rooms. So the music started to be, be made for these big rooms that were mostly white. It wasn't being made for a black gay audience anymore. And it lost many of the, it lost the soulfulness, the rootedness in R&B, and it lost the sense of social responsibility that was so much a part of early house. So to me, that's where the erasure comes from. I don't blame a UK kid who grew up with, you know, 10 City and Steve Silk Hurley in the top 10 trying to create their own version of that. I mean, that's just something people are going to try to do. I think it was because so many black creators and audiences died out because of AIDS that made it very easy for the erasure to happen. Because once you got these big rooms, these white gay spaces doing their um, version of house music, then those DJs became to prominence and they came to set the aesthetic. And it actually became the first time, I think, in the history of music, I'm gonna go this far to say, when dance music in general was not connected to the priorities of black people. Like every, from the blues, to jazz, to R&B, Motown, to disco, to original house, all of those were, um, the aesthetics of those were founded by black people and were rooted in black culture. But once you started getting the music playing in these white venues and these circuit parties and all of that kind of stuff, dance, raves, raves all that, thank you, EDM, all that, that was no longer rooted in anything black. And that to me is what led to the erasure. I feel like part of this also exists on a level that has a lot to do with socioeconomics. So I knew growing up 30 DJs, 15 of whom I would easily say could kick my ass and the DJ won a battle. They were great, great, great. But you know, you have to get a job and you know, you, what you just go DJ all the time. Um, people, particularly um, black and brown people often don't have a parent or a family structure that allows them to be independent musos to, you know, chase their dreams. And, you know, like I knew people that wanted to keep DJing, but, Somebody mama got sick and he had to go get a job. I knew people who DJing, uh, broke, you know, got into a motorcycle accident and couldn't keep DJing because, you know, didn't have insurance and, you know, all these sorts of uh, stories that I feel are particularly tethered to black and brown and often queer spaces because of uh, a socioeconomic position. Oftentimes, particularly with black and brown queer people, they were excised from the homes. You know, when someone found out that they were gay or queer or transgender or, you know, just not not right, whatever it is. And so they were, they living on the street. They are, you know, doing these things and trying to cobble together uh, 
a sense of expression from whatever they can, however they can, whenever they can. That's hard. And then that's also why a lot of the uh, the AIDS, when it came in, um, I, I remember people just disappearing, you know, just not there anymore. You know, you would, like, uh, even at the record store, you know, what happened to so-and-so? And then somebody would come in with a little spot on their face or something, something looked a little different about them. And then the next thing you hear is that they're in the hospital. But, you know, it was still a, a shame attached to it. So no one really would say the real cause. It'd be, you know, we called it the package back then. You know, oh, she's got the package. Um, and people would make, you know, ooh, working me to my last T-cell, honey. You, you try to find the humor even in tragedy. But uh, I can, like, when Craig was talking about, I, I, I felt like, man, I remember just so many people who I just, that just disappeared, that I no longer see, that, like, aren't around. And it kind of, like, made me, you know, like, a, in a better world where people had been able to uh, be recognized and be seen and not treated as outcasts and not um, sort of stuck on the side on these margins. There could have been more, but I also feel like if that was the case, then these marginalized people wouldn't have been so eager to live for today and live for now and have this enthusiasm, have this like strive and drive to create and do these things because tomorrow's not promised or, you know, like, you better get it now because you never know. It's so much deeper to, not deeper, but I mean, there's another layer in that you have to talk about the business owners and the economics of Black club ownership. Once Black club owners were losing their audiences, they couldn't always afford to pick up and start a new venue somewhere else just because of the socioeconomic conditions that affect black businesses you know so that's why you had the white owned big clubs and what do white owned big clubs want as their customers they want white people they want white djs so, so that's why i don't quite i'm not so quite as quick to blame it on europeans because if you think about a lot of dance acts like daft punk on their first album they don't do anything but like they have the song called teachers where they just throw out people's names I'm in it. I get a shout out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you, you are. Yeah, right. All right. Exactly. 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 After the break, we're going to take it home and we're going to talk about where house music can go. We're going to talk about Beyonce and Drake. It's beyond the scenes. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Beyond the scenes, bringing it home, we are talking house music. Now, we've talked about the de-evolution of it in terms of black and gay creators being able to still be at the forefront of the creative evolution of it. So, Derek and Craig, I want to pose this question to you all before we talk Beyonce and Drake. Do you think y'all's work and contributions to the industry help keep the history, the black history and the gay history of house music alive. Let's just talk a, a, a little bit about the work that you do now to make sure that this genre still remains as relevant as it was, you know, back in the day. Because, you know, Derek, I feel to some degree with what happened in the 90s with the AIDS epidemic, what happened with poverty and just the, you know, and we really could even blame crack and jail and drug sentencing as well as part of that. Yes, 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 all of that. Losing some degree of your autonomy and being able to control this genre, you lost some of your autonomy. So talk a little bit about the things that you all are doing now to try and get some of that back. There's a lot, there's really a lot. I mean, I I travel a lot for work, for DJing, uh, playing clubs, doing um, various events and things like that. And I always try to make sure that there is a, heavy dose of blackness and something that represents me and my upbringing and my people and my feelings in what I do. I don't play hits. I don't play the latest, um, whoever the the new girl is song. I mean, I, you know, I, I, NL chopper, ASAP, YBG game, you know, Billy, somebody's anybody, I, I, I don't because that that doesn't represent me or speak to me. So I play records with jazz. I play records with funk. I play records with blues keys. I play records um, with women who are telling t- telling you, selling you their story. Like you gonna hear this right quick. I feel that one of the best parts about uh, being able to still be here and still have a platform is that you should use it. You know, you should take that platform and make it so that it has some sort of relevance to what it is you're trying to say. Like, I, I have people that, you know, DJ friends who, I don't want to say sell out, but you know, they're oh, it's about the music. It's about the, I mean, yeah, it's about the music, but it's about the voice. You know, um, I always say the voice was the first instrument. Uh, and people yeah. who don't understand that can't quite relate to a lot of the things I do. You play a lot of vocals, you do this, you do that. I'm like, the, the voice is the first instrument. People, you know, they may, I, I didn't see any dinosaurs didn't hit on, rocks or you know have rhythm but they did holler you know all animals even going back you know 
that's that's how you got a mate. You sing your little song in the tree or whatever. Uh, you make your call in the forest. Goo, 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 goo. And that's that's how you that's how you got some. So that's I real mean, spit, real spit. And, and that's what we do with music and with instruments. We do these things because there's also a like level of I have something to say or I'm trying to get some or you know there's a story I want to tell. You know communication, all these sorts of things. And so I still feature heavily. Um, black and brown people singing and playing and um, music that suits and sits within that wheelhouse. I mean, my parents are from Mississippi. Like, Mississippi. <laughs> like, I called my dad to, yesterday to make sure they had water because Jackson, Mississippi ain't got no water. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was like, y'all got water down there? He's like, yeah, but you know. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, my parents not step and fetch it. I don't want to sound like that. Like my parents are just in a tin roof shack. Oh no, my mom's uh, side is from Clarksdale, so I'm not offended in the least. I know you it's know, like the mosquito I, truck you know, coming down at, the street. At the end of the road, where the road stopped, you know, that was where my grandmother's house was. <laughs> so I am of this kind of like people who really, really, really had it. I won't say, I don't want to like, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, these are victims because they never really consider themselves victims. Mm. They don't play like they're victims. My parents are not victims of anything, but they, their conditions and, and, and their situations weren't always the best. They weren't geared for success. And the fact that, you know, they made it out. My mom's a teacher, my dad's engineer, like, you know, they raised their kids in the suburbs and said, we had enough of this cold. We're moving back. And allowed me to go to private school and this sort of thing. Uh, I find that in all that and and all the like whiteness that I was often the blackness in. I was the blackness in the whiteness as a child. A lot, you know. I always had my uh, roots to keep me strong. If if that's another analogy. You know, like the, a good yes, foundation sir. of things. You know, my my roots kept me upright. My roots kept me from doing some things because there's always like you know an ancestor here or like a you know my I'm, I, my mother still sits on my shoulder and corrects my English, you know, and and this sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I feel like being able to still be the blackness in the whiteness is part of my very platform in general and the way I approach a lot of this and go through it. Beautiful. Craig, talk a little bit about your writing. Yeah, as for me, um, one of the most perplexing questions that I'm dealing with in my writing is like, I think a lot about the brothers who aren't here. Like the brothers who like might have become superstars, but passed of age. The brothers who might have been a great producer but just didn't get that chance. That haunts me all the time. And I don't know quite how to get at that, but I know I do write, you know, so much of my work is about preserving the stories and the names of um, black gay men that have contributed to pop music throughout, you know, from singing the, the Sissy Man's Blues to Saucy Santana, Booty. You know what I mean? Stewart. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's all the way. And, you know, I just wanted to call some names. I mean, I think we do have to talk about 
the people that were out during the period, like the Robert Evans, you know, one of the greatest vocalists, um, you know, house music vocalists um, ever, like, and David Cole using his church piano playing, you know, became part of CNC Music Factory and then remixed the Whitney's and stuff. And just these men, I think it's important to tell those stories. I just kind of try to record the stories of people who I feel haven't been given their due and also to sort of share my stories of how it felt literally to be a black gay man in their 20s in the 80s dealing with this kind of stuff in real time to that point with the saucy santanas of the world and the more present day artists chelsea give us some of those genres that have been influenced by house since its rise uh through the 70s and 80s yeah i feel like house is um ever present and omnipresent actually which is uh, so crazy because a lot of people don't necessarily equate it with a lot but it's had so many influences so i think you have acid house which is kind of like known for like more of like squelching noises it sounds a little bit it's, it sounds different and ron hardy was actually one of the ones who helped to uh kind of bring it to the forefront pre-techno it just, it's like right so then you had you know you kind of started acid house you know two live crew two of the members in there actually started miami bass which is huge and is also part of the house family. They also helped to start, you know, Baltimore club music, which we still hear to this day. Um, you know, I will say for people, if maybe you're not as fami familiar, I'd say one of the latest-ish ones that you've heard more mainstream is probably like on Drake's album, Sticky is like a Baltimore club influence, but also WAP samples, uh, you know, early Baltimore club song you know, whores in this house. So, um, you know, we hear that one a lot. You have Ama Piano, which is like a South African house, you know, uh, genre, like deep house, gospel house, hip hop house, ghetto house, like house is like everywhere. Like gospel house, we we going to Jesus. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah, gospel houses. Yes. Yeah. And we actually just finished doing we a gospel to house Nazareth. record. Every it's Sunday morning, mighty. Yep. Going to Nazareth. <laughs> nah, every Sunday morning, I listen. DJ Spin, who's a Baltimore Spin person, and he has his Sunday service. Gospel, you know, because of the thing is, the pianos like that Marshall Jefferson brought in through the um, house music anthem. That's nothing but church piano. And then you got people mm -hmm. like David Cole who were used to the church. So all that piano you hear in house music, house remixes, that's all from the church. And that the singers were all from the church. So it's like, that's the most natural people, thing. Yes. That's yeah. the most natural yes. thing in the world. If you had to sit in church eight hours on a Sunday and couldn't leave except to, you know, you get some food and then come back to church again and then you do all the things if if that was your life you know especially for a lot of uh black men and women that was your life for the first 16 17 years of you being on this earth like you it, it's in your bones yeah it's in how you hear music it's in how you approach uh People getting getting happy, and it's the you release know. you want from it that you expect Ooh, from it. She done got happy, yeah. And you got to fan them and like put it, you know, the, the whole like <laughs> all of that, you know, I, the, the church fan, and 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 you because okay. that's a that's like a club, you know. That's what the club is. You get there and people get the Holy Ghost oh, on church the dance is floor. The club. Church is the club with better chairs, <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. Frankie Knuckles used to call the club the um, haven for the children fallen from grace. 
So he was he was very much aware that a lot of the gay people that came to his club were people that were grown up in the church experience, but were then outcast because they were gay. So, yeah, you need to get on that gospel house wave now. Come on now. This has been a wonderful discussion. I will end on a simple question. We can answer as quickly as we can. Chelsea, you'll go first. We'll end with Derek. Drake and Beyonce's House Influence albums that came out in 2022, good or bad? Chelsea, go. I will say that I think that anytime somebody, black mainstream artists taking back a black genre, overall, I will say is a good thing. I think also they're, they're two completely different types of house, which I think is a, another uh, part of it. But, um, you know, Beyonce is ballroom house. Drake is more, I'd say like tropical, a little bit more UK, I'm a piano-ish, Afro. but yeah, Afro beats it. Like it, it's, it's a little bit different, but um, I enjoyed both. Both go up in the club. That's what matters to me. <laughs> so um, that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. The whole thing, they're just two different albums. I mean, Drake is very much as House has crossed the Black Atlantic, as I say. You know, as tra- mm-hmm. House has moved its way through the UK, through South Africa, back up through Toronto. A reverse middle passage. Exactly, really. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> and, and it's, and, you know, so it has that kind of modern feel. Where Beyonce, I think, even when she's not making House tracks on the record, she incorporates a lot of the sort of bravado and self-love and perseverance those themes that are so um particular to house music she really embodies those in the album even though you could say like break my soul and that let the last song the samples kevin ambiance and modern renee like those are the most housey songs i feel even on tracks like heated and stuff like that you mm-hmm. get the feeling of house and so yeah i, I love that i think it's uh, i think it's fantastic all right derek what say you final word well uh i i i i i i don't like it (laughs) here's the thing two of my absolute best friends in the entire world one of whom i started label with and one of whom i've been best friends with since i was 17 wrote and produced some of the things on the beyonce album honey and my ex classic uh classic music company partner luke solomon uh did Alien Superstar, and then they did that other, one of the other songs, I forgot the name of it. So I, I give them credit for um, entree into this kind of, uh, this this different world. Uh, being present and being um, seen, being in these places, presenting this music, and having something to do with uh, a, a large amount of shine. Honey is my, is my best friend since we were you know, forever. It's great for them, I think, and it's good for uh, a community to see black people be black people unabashedly and deal with um, black producers and have a sense of this pipeline of this music. It's it's started here and, and it's come through. I think there's a place for it, um, I find that often it's not to my taste because it's it's created and made for someone who isn't me, apparently. You know, it's made for someone who uh, listens to the radio or has a uh, much... Uh, their incursion into music is 
a, a lighter and often um, it doesn't come fraught with the kinds of issues and problems that I have had to go through and currently deal with regarding music. My music experience is, it's heavy a lot. Um, I understand that. Would you say it's essentially like taking, if we're going to go back to food again as an analogy, if you cook this the home way and you've used everything in your kitchen and it's a home-cooked meal and you see a more mass-produced version of it, that is still flavorful and decent and does the job. I mean, yeah, it is... But if you the grew the vegetables that, but that's not the- and raised the animals and then, you know, all these sorts of things. Like, I grew the vegetables. I helped to raise these animals. You know, I've, I feel like I have, a, maybe I'm a bit precious about it, but I can be a bit precious about it if I want to. You know, and that's my place in that. And I, I respect them and I am happy that, you know, they're putting a little shine on things and that they're able to cast uh some of this music in a different light particularly as you know retro and oh beyonce's bringing back house music and drake's bringing back house music i mean the, the drake album was uh had a large part of the production done by black coffee who mm-hmm. like you know i worked with uh dj'd with we did a party here in chicago a couple months ago uh these these are people who are uh in the community so i like that they are also getting shine it gives you a a you know, if you could see it, you can be it kind of thing that uh, posits these people in a place that offers, you know, this is something available to you too. Honey being trans is, you know, one of the absolute first trans people to ever be on like the Billboard uh, top 10 uh, as like, you know, a producer or something like these sorts of things. So there's a place for my appreciation for it is not in a critical place no it's more i understand in a, I, I i feel like the corona of it the corona of it is is amazing yeah it's net positive for the genre it's net positive for the people who have been ten toes down in that culture even if it's exactly. not something that you would run with this is a terrible analogy but it's the way a lot of stand-up comedians feel about tiktokers and internet comedians and they go well man, that ain't comedy hey if it's bringing asses to the seats and these people are going to comedy clubs and helping keep comedy clubs open i see them as net positive for the genre we could talk for years about this but i thank you all for giving me almost an hour on this topic thank you all so much for going beyond the scenes with us today about house music. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks, that, was, Roy. that was really nice. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.